Welcome to episode 186 of the Thunder Underground Podcast. Trent and Jason here. And this week we've got Kevin Martin of Candlebox. Sounds good saying that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. That, that is pretty awesome. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue well. Right? That's right. That's right. So I guess that means that this podcast is for you. <laughs> Only you. That's right. Fuck you, it's for you. Yeah, oh my God. Sorry. I, How did I not see that coming? Random question. Okay. Did you ever watch the mini Airborne documentary on YouTube? When was this? I told you about it. I've called you out like a couple times on the podcast. Seriously? Yeah, I told you I'm <laughs> going to keep asking you because you need to see this. And I thought I'm going to do it completely fucking randomly. Today. Yeah, now I'm drawing a complete blank on this even happening before. Yeah, it's like happened twice. Right. I We even talked about this. So I just wanted to just randomly throw that out there. Okay, about when did it come out? <laughs> Roughly? I don't fucking know. Okay. I know that I've discovered it, and I don't know, sometimes towards, sometime towards the beginning of the year. Okay. And it's probably, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes long. And it's fucking rad. It's awesome. You need to check it Was out. It like around the time of the last album, that kind of thing? Or something? I think so. Oh, okay. And, you know, YouTube it. It's on YouTube. And, uh, so yeah, and I, we talked about it on, a, on an episode <laughs> and then I think somehow I brought it up on another one and, yeah. and I was just thinking today, I, I'm going to, that part seems familiar if you call me out a couple of times, but I forgot that that's what it was. I'm just going to throw it out there okay. once you hit record. All right. So you better do it. I'll do it. Okay. Soon okay. I'm going to, I'm going to check back. All right. Okay. Now back to candle box goodness. <laughs> right. Yeah, we've got Kevin Martin coming up here in just a bit. But first, got to let you know, sponsored by DEB Concerts this episode and every episode. DEB Concerts brings in a lot of great shows here to Tulsa. Shows at the ideal ballroom of the 80s hard rock vibe, heavy metal, that yes. kind of thing. They brought in a lot of great stuff in the past, like Tom Kiefer, Winger, Warrant, Lita Ford, Jack Russell, Dokken a couple times, L.A. Guns. Firehouse. Right. And now we've got coming up Sebastian Bach. Nice. On October 5th. Sebastian Bach will be here playing the hits of Skid Row along with Monty Pittman. He's got a couple solo albums out. Check him out if you're not familiar with him. He's Madonna's guitarist, but he's also been in Prong and Ministry. And that show also features One Bad Son. They're out on this tour as well. The next week, October 12th, Tom Kiefer with Sweatin' Bullets and Evil Twin. Tom Kiefer's actually been here before. I saw him last time. Seen him a couple times at Rocklahoma solo. Seen Cinderella a bunch of times. And that's always that's always a great show. Then November 3rd, Kicks will be here with Sweatin' Bullets and Rocket Science. Now that's going to be a good one. Yeah, Kicks is another band that's always a fantastic show. In fact, one of the best live bands you may ever see. <laughs> and then December 8th, we've got L.A. Guns coming back. And this time, Junkyard will be there with them. Yes. And we're super excited about this. Totally. I mean, what the hell? That's going to be nuts. Yeah. Never got to see Junkyard, so finally Ex getting exactly. to add that one to the list. And here, just recently, they announced that Grind will be open in that show. Love it. It's about time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Good to have Grind on this. Speaking of Grind, just the other day they opened for Candlebox. Tying I mean, this all together. <laughs> Not the show we went to, but they opened the show in Oklahoma City. That's right. <clears throat> at the Diamond Ballroom, which is pretty fantastic. Yes, and from all accounts on the social medias and the whatnots and whatevers, it sounded like it looked like it went off uh, like a good show. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Because anytime I've seen Candlebox, it's been good. Anytime I've seen Grind, it's been good. You're damn right. Well, speak. Oh, no, and speaking of that as well, we were just talking about it a minute ago. The Brian Turnham, yes, the drummer for Grind, is a photographer, and he posted that Kevin Martin let him take some photos of him, yeah, like some professional, you know, professional photos, yes. like outside there at the Diamond Barn or something. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get to see those soon. Yeah, I can't wait. I think that's great. That's awesome of Kevin to do. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, all these shows at the Ideal Ballroom, hosted by Eddie Trunk, 
So get out there, meet him if you are inclined. The Ideal Bomb's amazing. We love it. And we love DB concerts. Definitely. All right. So we want to play some music. I think so. Yeah, we've got a, a song that came out earlier this month from Sprout the Antihero. And you've heard us speak about him millions of times. A great friend of the podcast. Yes, we love the guy. And it's time you hear this new music from him in his solo project. This song is called Forward. The old days are gone And we're still going strong Let's have a funeral for our bad days they're passing on Cause I don't mind the sunshine, baby You sent away the rain The hole has been filled You took away the pain Will you walk beside me Stand with me Forever song from Sprout the Antihero. That's a solo project. He's got, he has said he's got quite a bit more music that's going to be coming in the coming months. And he's also getting ready to do a lot of shows, I believe, in October and November. Yes, yes. It looks like he's got a, a 
a full plate. Yeah, that's a very cool song. I love getting to hear this, you know, recorded. We've seen him a bunch of times live. I actually went on that tour with him and Dusty Grant, yeah, so I got to hear it many times. But it's great to hear this song recorded and hear his voice in, you know, this aspect. Because we've always heard his voice on different levels with the heavy music, but to get yeah. to hear it like this. Yeah, it's just another another side, another, you know, uh, style that Sprout does effortlessly. Great song. And, uh, you know, th- this guy can do anything he wants. Yeah. And he even says when he plays that live, he wanted to write a love song that sounded like a funeral. And I think he pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get that. <laughs> but, yeah, way back... This was like late last year. You remember he played, we went and had him on the podcast. That's right. And he played us several things he was working on Yeah. outside of this as well. You know, he's got, you know, you, you hear it in there, but you know, he does the guitar work. He does piano. So it'll be really cool to hear all the rest of this stuff once it comes to light. Yeah. And of course he is the front man for Screaming Red Mutiny. So check them out as well. Great metal band based out of Tulsa. And speaking of Sprout, speaking of Grind. Thunder Underground Fest. They're going to be there. Yeah. Are you going to be there? I'll be there, I think. Hell yeah, you better. I need to write it down make sure it's not conflicting with another. No, I'm going to see Avatar. Oh, shit. I knew it. I fucking knew it. You do what you want. That's definitely one thing evident. You do what you want. (laughs) And I knew, well, once Avatar's in the picture, he's going to ditch his own fest. (laughs) Right. Uh, I'll be it's left... just the day you're playing, so who cares? Yeah, see, here we go. I'll be left <laughs> holding the bag. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's October 19th and 20th at the Venue Shrine in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sprout will be performing that song and many others. CJ and Dale from Grind will also be playing acoustic as well. Recently announced. And of course, like I said, Jason will be returning to the stage with Zen Hipster. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, all the days, or the bands for each days were just announced a couple days ago, so get on our Facebook page, pull up the event, check it all out. Two days worth of music, 18 bands. Yep. And it's only 10 bucks for both days. That's right. Tap the, you're, tap the little going. Yeah, and then button. tap share. Yes, then tap share, definitely. Let everybody know about it. That's right. It's going to be a good time. Definitely. So next on the agenda, have you ordered your Metallica watch? No, nor will I. Why not? They got enough of my goddamn money uh, on tickets for Tulsa and Kansas City. They don't need any more. They got enough. I love them. They're my favorite band. I don't ever wear a watch any goddamn how. That's right. What do I need? What do I need? I don't like wearing fucking jewelry and shit. What what about me screams jewelry? I mean, I I look like I'm ready for gym class most of the time. I mean, what the, <laughs> the fuck? So no, Nothing I love Metallica you jewelry, but you love Metallica, so there you go. But I'm not going to buy a expensive ass watch. Well, what could they make that you would buy? A Metallica coffin? Um, like this? No, they could. Or does it go back to what we were talking about <laughs> they last could week? Go, the Metallica they, melon baller? They I might buy that. They could go on a theater or large club tour and i would buy one of those tickets oh well yeah um you know how much would you pay to see him in a club oh man we're getting crazy (laughs) we're getting crazy it's not even on subject to the watches but i know what the fuck um i'd pay a lot (laughs) i would pay i would pay more i would pay a large sum of money to go see them in a club than to get the stupid fucking gigantic meet and greet oh yeah at the arena yeah you know what i mean so definitely yeah i don't know i mean there's so many uh tangents we go off on here i don't know (laughs) we might be best to just skip this one okay you know is there any other news besides metallica watches (laughs) god damn you know that's a slow news week (laughs) um no i don't think so Tomorrow night in Tulsa at the Vanguard, August 31st, Modern Myth is having their album release show. That's right. So get out there and check them out. That is, I'm glad you thought of that. That is very newsworthy. Old friends of ours that have a great new band. We've played them on the podcast before. Yes. I'm sure you'll hear them again coming up, but if you're in the area, get out there and check them out. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Yeah. And there's a lot of 
other great stuff coming to the Vanguard and the Shrine as well. So That's get right. on those pages and look those things up because there's always some great shows around here. And no matter where you're at in the country, support your area stuff. All right. So is it Kevin Martin time, I guess? I think so. Kevin Martin of the Rock and Roll Band Candlebox. I like that they got that shirt that said, it's rock and roll. Look it up. I thought <laughs> that, that was kind of cool. That is awesome. And, you know, and if anyone could have a shirt like that, it's them. Yeah, because they, they fit right perfectly in that, that avenue where it's like it's it's hard rock, it's heavy, but it's also just rock and roll, you know? Yeah, definitely. And uh, their show was definitely rock and roll. Yeah. Start to finish. Yeah, glad to be able to see them in a headline setting again. Yes. It's been quite a while. And, I mean, you can't ever say, I mean, we've said it before on here, you know, way before now, and any time I talk to anybody about this, that this guy is as good as you remember him on that first album. Yeah. If you ever saw him live back then, he sounds just the same. Yeah, his voice is, his voice has not changed. It has not weakened it has not anything other than probably get better i mean right this guy can belt it out and uh the set list was fucking awesome um it was just a great show yeah yeah this this band always got thrown into that i mean they're the a 90s band which mm. is fitting they didn't really get thrown in the grunge category even though they came from seattle yeah but they would get compared to that stuff in the 90s alt rock or whatever you call it but Really, in that whole genre of music, there's no one that, no one stands above this guy except maybe Cornell yeah. and Lane Staley. Yeah. That's how good this guy is. Exactly. And it's funny that he even says in this interview that singing wasn't even what he really wanted to do. I know. <laughs> Imagine that, you yeah. know. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, and he's also all about the fans. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, and uh, I, I loved the... I love the has-been shirt he had on. Yeah. That was fucking hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, just just a good night all around. Yeah, this current current lineup he's got going is great. You know, Adam, the bass player, has been there for like 10 years now. And mm -hmm. guitarists are relatively new, but they're both great. And, of course, Dave Cruzan's been there oh, on, yeah. on and off for 20 years, I think, almost. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not familiar with him, he was the drummer for Pearl Jam's album 10, which yes. I'm sure you know. Exactly. So you've got... Two pieces of Seattle rock royalty That's here right. on this stage, and they, like you said, kick ass. I mean, they they played almost the entire debut album at this show, yeah, minus I think maybe two songs, and then they covered a lot of other ground. There was two or three songs from the the new album, a couple songs from you know more recent albums as well, and then they played Simple Lessons off the second album. They loved played that Happy Pills, super loved yeah. that, which. As I mentioned to you before that, I remember that back in the day, you were like a massive fan of that album. Yes, I fucking, like, I wore the shit out of that album. I mean, that that CD, it, it's it's a wonder it didn't stop playing, you know? Yeah. Because um, I've listened to that thing, you know, relentlessly. Yeah. That's such a great record. Yeah, I, I liked it more than Lucy. Yeah. Even though I loved Lucy when it came out, but yeah. I think... You get what he said in this interview and even what he said on stage, you know, it's like, yeah. it doesn't stand with the first one or the third one, you know. I see that. As a full, full effort at least, you know. Yeah. But that thing I love about Candlebox <clears throat> is that when you hear, especially that first album, you can compare them to a lot of things. They have a lot of elements of a lot of other bands and eras, but it's all put together in a way that where you just hear it and you know who it is, it sounds like Candlebox. Exactly. Even though they're pulling elements of other areas, yeah. right? And it doesn't, and it's never, their shits never sound dated, you know? I mean, yeah. it's all just rock and roll. Right. And, you know, that's something you can really hang your hat on. Well, let's do it. This is Kevin Martin of Candlebox. Feeling like on that? Oh, 
Uh, it was nerve wracking, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was. Um, I think getting prepared for the shows, you know, being that they were in Seattle, our hometown, and it was the original band, and you know, everybody's kind of got other gigs except me. I've been doing this, you know, since the beginning. So uh, I think it was really about uh, a comfort zone and how comfortable we were going to be playing uh, that record only uh, front to back with those guys. You know, preparing for it was a bit nerve wracking, um, and I think. The interesting thing was the first rehearsal just kind of fell right together. Um, we ran through the set and it was like it never, we never stopped playing. Um, and I think mainly for uh, Barty, the bass player, uh, you know, who hasn't played these songs literally in uh, 10 years, you know, uh, to kind of remember them and, and, and work through them. And it, it literally was like riding a bike. But um, the actual shows were pretty incredible um i don't think we expected to sell them out i don't think uh we expected to people from all over the world would fly in to see those shows you know you you as a band you, you kind of start things and hope that you affect people somehow and then 25 years later you you realize at a show like that um you know the value of the band and and that we are still um somewhat um important you know to people uh rather than ourselves you know <laughs> being self-indulgent and shit uh that's a very easy thing to do as a, as a musician and um you when your fans you know validate what it is that you do and, and like i said you know people came in from uh czechoslovakia japan mexico south america australia um it was a trip it was a real trip but it was uh it was a great experience you know i mean uh if you'd have told us 25 years ago that we'd, we'd still be doing this, we'd have told you you were crazy. You know? um, but here we are. How, how were the songs, like the more the deep cuts that you hadn't played in a while or maybe not played at all? Uh, like Mother's Dream and Rain, which the guys are out there working on now. Um, you know, th those are those are songs that, for me, you know, the lyricist and, and melody writer and songwriter, it, you know, it's it's kind of old hat. You know, I, I, I've never forgotten the only song, oddly enough, that I've ever forgotten the words on is Far Behind, which is, you know, funny because um, it's the most prolific track of, for the band, you know, and, and obviously the, the longest running uh, hit we've ever had. Uh, but Mother's Dream was, you know, a piece of cake for me. But I think for the guys, um, you know, to remember the feel and it. Like Barty couldn't remember if, if he was drop D on it or not. Um, and when he would go to make the movement in drop D, it didn't feel right. So then he did it in standard tuning and it still didn't feel right. And then he remembered that he played it in a different positioning. So that took, you know, 10 minutes of, of you know, beating his brain against the wall to figure out what it was. Um, for me, though, it was interesting to watch the guys kind of work through those tracks, you know, because they uh, they hadn't played it in a long, long time. And, and uh, uh I did have to pull up the lyrics for Rain just because that song kind of meanders a bit towards the end and I wanted to make sure that I had it relatively right. Uh, so I ran through it a couple times at rehearsal and of course remembered it. Um, but the deep the deep cuts are, um, those are the ones I think we forget about how much we like them and, and why haven't we been playing. You know, why, they should have been in the set list every single night. But uh, you, you kind of get in a comfort zone uh, and, and you... And you follow the path that, that has been working for you for the longest. And um, so now with with these guys, with um, Adam, Dave, Brian, and Island, um, having them learn these songs, uh, even as they were fans of the band, and of course Dave's been playing with me since 97, uh, those were tracks that he never played. You know, so he's having to, to learn. And um, it's, it's fun, you know, it's... it's it's fun for me to look over him during the show and say, you just totally fucked that up. <laughs> but your recovery was great, so yeah. you still have a job. You know? Had every single song been played live at some point? Or was there anything that was the first time uh, at that show? Or you were show? No, no. Um, I mean, obviously, when we first started, that's all we had. Right. Um, we had one cover song, Mountain Song by James Addiction. Um, wow. So our set consisted of, you know, for the first uh, year of touring, uh, 11 tracks and one cover. Um, so they've, they've all been played. But Rain, uh, Mother's Dream, and He Calls Home hadn't been played uh, live since 2008. And no, that's not true because we did the 20th anniversary 
uh, tour, which was what, five years ago, and we did we did a couple shows uh, where we played the album in its entirety. But um, that was with with Scott. Scott was still playing with us and the drummer, um, and then he left in 2015. So, yeah. What are your thoughts like when you play with the guys you've got now playing the songs from the first two or three albums? Like, what what kind of feel do they bring to it? It might be different than the original lineup. Well, you know, I mean, uh, that's a good question. As as an in, as an instrument uh, in your hands, regardless of who you are, it's going to sound different unless you're Pete playing that guitar, or Scott playing the drums, or Barty playing the bass. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is they bring a little bit more energy to it. I think mainly because it's so fresh to them. It's not something that they wrote 27 years ago. Um, so they bring um, they bring their influence and their tone to it, um, and, and their aggressiveness and their their passion behind the track, you know, um, which makes in turn makes it exciting for me to sing it, you know, because um, they're supportive and um, and phenomenal players, you know. I mean, they're not Pete, they're not Marty, they're not Scott. They are who they are, and and their talent is parallel, you know, on all levels. Um, but Dave Steele. You know, of drums from Happy Pills till Disappearing Airports is entirely different than Scott's on drums. You know, um, so there's a bit more. I find with playing with Dave, it's a little bit more liquid rather than maybe nuts and bolts. Because Scott's very, very precise, and uh, and he is a mathematical drummer, and Dave is entirely from the heart. He's a, he's a total feel player. Um, so I prefer. The, the element of, of the liquid movement when Dave plays and um, and and those interesting um, uh, inconsistencies in Scott's playing of the song that Dave brings to him, uh, where maybe I felt as though it needed a bit of a push with Scott. Dave gives it that push naturally because I'm I was started as a drummer you know when I was ten years old so <clears throat> I got stuck with this gig when I was twenty. I'm still doing it, so I'd much rather be a drummer. But, you know, um, uh, that's always been kind of my thing. You know, it's really, really about the rhythm of the songs and how these songs move. And I sing rhythmically based on on uh, every song I sing. It's all rhythmic because I start every single song I've ever written with a drum beat either in mind or I've worked into my phone uh, or a drum machine at home or something like that. So I, I always work around that when I'm building a song. Um, and... Um, and uh, I know with like Lucy was, you know, for me, a record that I was disappointed in because it it felt too strict. Um, the drumming felt very, very um, surgical. And and as loose as a record as it was and as raw as it was, I always felt that those songs needed um, a bit more of like a topper head and maybe from the clash style of a drumming. Very loose, very fluid, very unregistered or, or unthought. Um, and, and Scott was very methodical on that record. So, um, you know, it's, I'm like, uh, I'm a drummer's worst nice nightmare as a singer. Because <laughs> uh, they're, they're the first one I look at. <laughs> the fuck did you just play? Trying to keep him in check. Yeah. <laughs> do you still play personally, or I do? Okay. Yeah. When I when I get a chance, I don't I don't have a drum set in my house, so uh, I kind of I really miss it. I really miss it a lot, and um, I'll play you know sound checks and stuff like that just to kind of keep myself busy. But um, that's my first love of music, really. Well, you mentioned Lucy. Is there? Any possibility you guys might do the same thing for the 25th anniversary of that? Or is that just well, we, yeah, we've been approached by um, Live Nation about doing a festival in Seattle, uh, an annual uh, yearly festival. Um, of Because what we did in Seattle is we brought up two bands that we had played with predominantly in the beginning of our career. Sweetwater and Green Apple Quickstep. We, play, we played with those guys all the time back in Seattle. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we took them on the road with us uh, quite a few times um, for tour dates and stuff. So uh, Live Nation would like us to do a festival um, where we would be obviously the headliner, but it would be annual where we would bring these bands that never quite made it. They, they had those songs on radio. They had MTV videos. They, people knew who they were, but it never quite broke. And, um, and they want us to do that. So that would be something like with Lucy, which uh, will be 25 in two years. Uh, we would probably, you know, play that record in its entirety. Um, 
which would be interesting because that that's an album that I really just don't like. Um, I've never been happy with it. If I had an opportunity to remix it, if Warner Brothers would give me the fucking masters and I could go remix it, I would do it in a heartbeat because it's just a really, really hard record for me to listen to. So, but I always felt when we played it live, it felt right. When we toured on that album, I was like, God, this is how it should fucking feel. Why did it not come across this way in the studio? Um, but that happens, I think, to every band. I think every band's got a record that's just like, we fucked that one up. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it was announced recently that you're working with G4O uh-huh. and as head of A&R. Like, how did that whole thing come about for you? Uh, I was introduced to Marcus through Robin Diaz. Um, Robin was, uh, he's a drummer that's out actually with Live right now. I met Robin um, six years ago when he was playing with Daughtry. Uh, and we've been the, the best of friends. Uh, he's filled in for Dave on several occasions. Dave had some surgery on his wrist. So Robin came out and played with us for about a year. Um, and he knew Marcus and said, listen, this guy wants to run a label. And I, I don't have any time. He wants me to A&R. And he's like, I know you love music and something you're into. Uh, would you want to meet him? I said, sure. And um, we sat down and had conversations. And I said, you know, these are all the things that I've learned from my 25 years in the industry that A&R's fucked up or labels have forgotten about. And and uh, if you want to bring me on board, this is how I would recommend doing it. And um, we we clicked instantly. And, and I, I had this band out of uh, Galveston, Texas called To Him at May. And I said, look, I love these guys. I think it's a great first move for you they're metal it's math metal so it's kind of clutch uh, uh august burns red you know it's got kind of that really intellectual uh songwriting um and i was I, I do feel that metal is probably the last genre of music that um still has uh you know outside of alternative it it, it still has that support of, of mainstream rock radio um you know they, as well as you know you've got octane and all that stuff that's on serious and um, and, and people pay attention to it. Uh, and you're, and you're not afraid to say, uh, well, we're a metal band. You know, it's, it's very difficult to say we're a rock and roll band and we're on, you know, mainstream rock radio. That just doesn't happen very much anymore. Um, unless you're shine down or something like that. Um, so yeah, I brought Tim and made a Marcus and, um, he really liked the band and, and we made it happen. And now we have two other bands we're signing this year and those records will come out next year. And, you know, it's just uh, moving forward. I mean, it's obvious next step for me. I think as a as a musician, how does how, how does the A and R position you think change? How's it changed since, uh, or how is it since the industry is so different nowadays? Well, labels aren't sending you know A and R scouts out anymore. They're not flying them into Chicago to see bands playing and stuff. They you know it's really just kind of well, what's your YouTube count? What's your Instagram count? You know, how many followers do you have? What are your socials showing? Um, and for me, I want to take it back to how it was in the in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, where the A and R guy believes in the band, finds that band, and, and and pushes that band on the label, and says, "This is who you need to be working with, and this is how we need to develop them." It's really about artist development as well, putting bands on the road for six, seven, eight, nine months, sending them to Europe for six weeks, having you know go there first, you know, create something that happens over because the buzz in Europe is way faster than it is in the states. Um, you don't have the conveniences in Europe that you have here. People aren't, you know, constantly on their fucking phones and, you know, going to uh, coffee shops and 7-Elevens and shit like that like they do here. It's a totally different world. They live, eat, and breathe music. South America is very much the same. Still have that passion for finding great bands. Um, and, and that's my concept, you know. And I said to Marcus, I said, Look, we're going to do this. You need to make sure you've got X amount of dollars to send these bands over there. They need to break in Europe. If that happens, they come back here. It's cakewalk. If you try to break them here and then try to send them to Europe later and they're successful in the States, it's very, very difficult because they don't want to hear it because they didn't find it. They're not like, oh, yeah, we, you know, well, yeah, they're huge in America, so we'll embrace them. Kings of Leon is another perfect example and the Strokes as well. Both bands broke in Europe long before they broke in the States, you know, and that's, and that's uh, something that, you know, you have to think about uh, as an A&R guy. Uh, how is this band going to work and what part of Europe do we send them to? With TMMA, it would be Germany, Belgium, Denmark, uh, Holland, uh, England, stay out of France, get them over to Spain, yeah. you know, that, that marketplace. A band like State to State, this other band that we're signing that's um, uh, very similar to like a, an ambient Lana Del Rey meets maybe Radiohead. Um, really dark, dark torch songs, um, but 
big ambient epic songs. Um, that would be a band that we would pretty much put in France and go to Czechoslovakia, go up to maybe Holland, uh, maybe up to Finland, maybe up to Sweden. You know, you've got to kind of pick and choose that direction because that's, that's where that music kind of works best. Build that foundation there, bring it back here, push it. So it, it, it's a thought process and it's expensive, but you know, Marcus has the money to back it. And, you know, if we do it right, we'll have, you know, three solid records next year that, um, you know, are a good kickoff for, uh, for Chief Royal. Did you have good relationships with A&R guys early on in your career? I know towards the end of your first record deal, it's reported that it wasn't that great, but I didn't like it to be. Well, that was a guy. I mean, that yeah. was, you know, just a guy of Siri was, you know, yeah. an amazing A&R guy. He was fucking 18 years old when he found us, you know, and, oh, wow. and we were his first signing. Then his second signing was a lot of more set. The third was the Deftones. So, you know, he, but he had that vision, you know, and, and now he manages Madonna. He manages you too. He manages for all, like he's got a company called Maverick Management, which is huge. Uh, and he was very smart. Um, I, I had met several A&R guys. Um, you know, we sat with Tom Wally and Jimmy Iovine at, at Interscope uh, before we signed to Maverick. Uh, we had met with um, Dave Kaz at Sony, um, uh, Jason Flom, all those guys. Uh, and Guy Asiri was the one who took the chance and, and, you know, was passionate enough about us to make sure that, that the label took us on and, and spent the money the right way. And of course, you know, four million records later in the first year, uh, I think he did it right. You know? I like A&R guys. I think, you know, they're interesting people. You know, a lot of them are weird as fuck. But, um, you know, I mean, Gary Gersh, a genius. I don't know what he's doing now. You know, uh, I don't know if, if labels even have A&R. Well, speaking of how much everything's changed, you saw everything from before the digital age and now the way it's changed or you happy with the way things are as an artist? Oh, fuck, I don't know. I'm happy about it. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm just, uh, I've become kind of accustomed to it. Um, I, you know, do I like spending three hours a day on my phone responding to emails and, you know, Facebook messages and Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that? Not really, but I'm glad I'm the one doing it. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not paying my management to do it. You know, I don't want somebody speaking on behalf of me. Um, you know, my words are my words. And, you know, there's not some guy that's being paid 20 bucks an hour that's going to sound like I do when he types or, you know, writes what he writes. I mean, I have, I have my own way of speaking. So um, that part of it, uh, you know, is a necessary evil. It's a love-hate relationship, you know. Um, but it's my job as the voice of this band and what I have to say on stage that I represent that on all levels. And, um, do I miss the days of, you know, being the anonymous rock star that walked off a tour bus and into a hotel and was able to sit at the center bar and, you know, have a drink and nobody would bother. Absolutely. You know, uh, not having to do meet and greets and, you know, um, all that stuff now, I mean, everything's just so accessible, you know, as an artist, you have to be accessible. And that's a difficult thing, man, because, you know, it's like, I've got a family. I've got a wife and a son, you know, and and, um, and I like my privacy, and, and that's not there anymore. You know, it's uh, it, it doesn't exist in this day and age. So, um, am I happy with it? I guess the the, the short answer is no. But <laughs> um, but it is what it is, man. I mean, you know, I I was one of those peer to peer uh, guys back in uh, the late '90s that was you know um, getting shit from Metallica for sharing music. I was one of those guys, you know, I was sharing music on, on the internet. And, um, so, uh, I recognized very early on that it was happening, but you know, I came from Seattle, man. I mean, you know, like I had a buddy that worked at Microsoft, I had an email in fucking 1994, you know? Uh, so I knew that it was out there and I knew that the opportunities were coming. Um, and I actually sat with, um, Guy and, and, uh, Freddie at Maverick at, uh, when we were making the Happy Pills record and said, listen, you need a good webpage going. You've got to get a webpage for us. You're going to have to start um, blocking content. And they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, Maverick didn't have a webpage until I think 2001. And most labels were that way. And still, when you visit, you know, Warner Brothers Records webpage, or you go to Rhino Records, it's so fucking dated, man. It's like you, the search engine doesn't work. 
if you're looking for a specific album, you type in the name, it doesn't come up, and then you scroll through some other fucking page, and there's the record that you just searched for. I mean, labels are so far behind the fucking eight ball on all this shit still. Um, I don't know how they're even existing. You know, I said to Marcus, it's like, you sure you want to fucking start a record label, dude? Yeah. I mean, you might as well just start a vinyl service, you know, and, and put your, your friends' bands out on vinyl and just, you know, split the cost or, you know, split the, the profits. I mean, record labels are a fucking nightmare, you know. Um, but he's found a way, you know, and we've got a good team behind us and, and, uh, and good digital marketing. And, and so we have to play that game. So what is it you think he's going about it different to make G4L successful? Well, I mean, we're not successful yet. I mean, that's yet to be seen. But I think what he's doing differently is that he is listening to the people that are working with him that have been in this industry long enough to understand what's right and what's wrong and the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. You know, and he's listening. He's not an ego. He's not an egomaniac. You know, uh, he wants to do something. You know, you'll you'll get three of us going. Yeah, no, uh, no one's going to do that. And you're stupid to do it. And we'll tell him. And he'll be like, why? And we explain it to him. He goes, okay, let's not do that. Well, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, talking about, you know, what do you do to take care of your voice and maintain it, you know, all these years later? (laughs) (laughs) Whiskey and cigarettes. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I have, um, you know, I I was... uh, I made the mistake of, of kind of mistreating it when I was younger mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't know how to sing I, in a rock band. I had sung in choir from, you know, first grade all the way up to my senior year, but singing in choir and singing, you know, Italian pieces and opera and all that bullshit, it's entirely different than singing rock and roll. Um, so I, I did not know what I was doing and I and I ended up with a vocal hemorrhage in 1998. We were supposed to do, we were about to do six weeks with uh, the Black Crows and um, we we're in Phoenix and, a, and I had a hemorrhage on a vocal cord. Uh, which, you know, it's a blood vessel breaks and, you know, you, you can't sing. Two days later, your voice is gone. There's two days where your voice is immaculate because blood is rushing to your vocal cords. It's just rushing, rushing, rushing. And you can hit notes that you never fucking imagined. And you can do things with your voice. And then all of a sudden you wake up the next, you know, two days later and you can't even fucking hum. You can't whisper. Um, so we had to, we had to uh, pull out of that Black Crows tour and that was the, the biggest probably career disappointment of, of my life. Um, I had to heal my voice. Uh, in the process of that, uh, six weeks of no talking. Of course, back then there weren't cell phones to text back and forth from every, you know, everybody wanted. I mean, there was, but I don't think you could fucking text anybody. Um, so that was, you know, the longest six weeks of my life because I love to hear myself talk. And um, came out of that with uh, a really strong voice. But in the process of, of that healing, what could have become a nodule ended up becoming a callus on my vocal cords. So I have basically calluses on them, which instead of them fluttering like they're supposed to, they kind of beat against one another. Um, so I can't ever really harm my voice again. And my throat doctor's like, I don't know. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, you might want to stop smoking, but it's not seeming to affect it. But I'm one of the lucky ones, you know. I mean... There are a lot of singers. Like Adele's had three surgeries. I think Justin Timberlake's had two. Steven Tyler's had two. Axl Rose's had two. Uh, I've never had surgery, you know. Um, but I do. I do treat it like it owes me money, which is not fair. I mean, but you know, I'm not. I'm not about to stop the life that I live. You know, yeah. I, I want to live it. You know, and uh, and I enjoy it, and I'm going to enjoy every fucking minute until I'm in the dirt. Yeah. First time I saw you guys live was '93, opening for Metallica. With oh yeah. Suicidal tendencies. '94. Uh, Okay, here in Texas? No, or in Oklahoma Tulsa? City. Oklahoma City. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, what was that like going on stage? Before that was a two? speedway, right? Didn't Jerry Cantrell get up and play with Alice? Yeah. 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 Or with, uh, with, with Metallica. Metallica, yeah. Yeah. Like, you're going on stage before two pretty heavy bands. <laughs> I mean, was the crowd by that point pretty It didn't even fucking time. sound right when they it said, did. you know, <laughs> Suicidal Tennessee's Candlebox Metallica. Right. I was like, okay, this is going to be fucking great. <laughs> I mean, did you get good re- no, crowd man. reactions or no? No, we did. Oh. <laughs> In Albuquerque, which was two nights before that Oklahoma City show, um, somebody had thrown a Jack Daniels bottle at me and split my forehead open. Um, that's what we dealt with. Uh, 
And, uh, and you know, for me to play with Suicidal uh, and Metallica, I mean, Suicidal is one of those bands I grew up on. I grew up on punk rock. That's what I live, eat, breathe, and love. Um, and uh, so it was a it was a real honor for me, even though Mike Muir hated us, that Suicidal had to go on before us. He actually threatened our lives in San Francisco. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. If something happens to you, it's, it's because of me. Um, which scared the shit out of us. And luckily... Um, Metallica's tour manager had heard that when he said it to us and pulled him aside and said, you do anything that fucking band you're off the tour. Well, of course, there's bad blood all the way right there. I mean, the whole tour was, you know, Mike was not happy. But I I watched him every fucking night. I love Suicidal, you know. And Fight, of course, Rob Halford was uh, a a massive um, musical and and, um, vocal inspiration to me. That guy's voice is fucking real. Yeah. and he was cool as hell, dude. He would come on our dressing room and fucking hang out with us and shit. And, you know, he's sober. Um, and he would just sit in there and chat chat with us and talk to Pete about, you know, his playing because, you know, he loves great guitarists and shit. And Rob's rad, you know. And then the Metallica dudes knew how to fucking party, you know. <laughs> uh, and, um, of course, that's before the, the sobriety and shit. So um, the stories that I could tell, uh, which I never will, you know. They make me giggle all the time. There's always <laughs> Nashville. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, Long Island. I mean, it's like there's there's just so many great memories. Um, and actually, uh, they were really amazing dudes. You know, uh, those guys, um, Lars, James, Kurt, and Jason were super super gracious, and and um, and they would watch us, you know, they'd watch us play every night. And um, I did a stage dive in, in uh, Las Vegas and came off, came off stage after the set. And James was like, did you ever fucking do that again? You're out of your fucking mind. They will kill you. And I go, well, they kill me, they kill me. I have fun. You know? But yeah, that was, um, and Rush, of course, was another one uh, in, in 94 that, um, you know, you pinch yourself. And you're like, fuck, I'm touring with Rush, you know. I'm a lucky son of a bitch, dude. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. Pinch myself every day. <laughs> All right, on. We appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks. Thanks, fellas. There you go. Kevin Martin of Candlebox. Thank you very much to Denise from DMK Publicity. And of course, thank you to Kevin Martin for spending about 30 minutes with us talking about all kinds of stuff. Oh, definitely. Definitely. What a rad guy. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. If you've never checked out the High Watts, or if you've never checked out the Glorious Few, do yourself a favor and do that as well. Glorious Few is pretty good. Yeah, cool album, and we got to see them live at Rocklahoma. Yes. Which, if you're not familiar, that's Kevin Martin with the guys from Live. Basically, similar situation to Alter Bridge. You know, you take yeah. all the members of one band and put a put a better singer in front of them. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> That's I don't have the anything against. I've ever gotten to see live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything against Ed from Live. I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah. You know? But yeah, and of course the new stuff from Candlebox, disappearing in airports, is a great album. All their newer stuff's great. See them live if you get the chance. Um, that was cool. He talked about that Metallica tour. Yes, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Seeing them then, we saw them. <laughs> At what an Edge birthday, like the first Edge birthday in 1995. Yes, they. I think they were the headliner, right? Mm, and then I think so. Yeah, had like a bunch of <clears throat> people that didn't hang around, like God Lives Underwater and Mr. Merengue. Yeah, and, uh, Gravity Kills, and what? Four squirrels. <laughs> Four squirrels, son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, we're down with Gravity Kills though. It's all oh yeah, good. all yeah. good. Yeah. Um. And just many other times at other festivals, and yeah, they they played another Edge Fest like later on. I think during the Happy Pills, right? I think, and then you know, Rocklahoma, and a couple whatnot. times there. Oh, we saw them at the fucking casino with Soul Asylum a long time ago. That's right at the Osage. Yeah, that was a good show. That was cool. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, but yeah, thank you very much to Kevin Martin. And if this is your first time listening, we appreciate it. If you love. Listen to the podcast, go back and check ours out. Please do. 185 previous episodes we've had on guys from Local H. I'm throwing that in because they're 90s rock. <laughs> we've had on guys from Drowning Pool, Seven Dust, Shine Down, Saving Abel, uh, Megadeth. There you go. Dave Elfson and formerly Chris Broderick. That's right. Bruce Kulik. 
Used to be in the band Kiss. He was on here. Gene Simmons has always been in the band Kiss. And he was on here. That's true. Which is very cool to be able to still say a year and a half later. Definitely. One day, Paul Stanley will be on here. <laughs> I have a feeling. Probably hope, Eric Singer. Probably. I hope so. Yeah, probably just be Eric Singer, but hey, that's cool. That would be better for me. Right. We could talk about Badlands. And Revenge. Yeah. That Revenge, would be fucking Badlands. awesome. You know, just think of it. He's been in Kiss. He's been in Black Sabbath. He's been in Badlands. I mean, come on. Yeah. He got fucking badass. Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of badass people, Kirk Winstein's been on here. Shooter Jennings has been on here. If you like melodic 80s hard rock, Great White, Europe, Firehouse, Truckster Warrant, Bullet Boys. Um, Frank Hannon from Tesla was recently on here. I mean, come on. Yeah. Fed on guys from Superjoint, from Wino, from The Obsessed. Overkill. Yeah. The Mighty Overkill. Insight. <laughs> what else? Miss May I? Yeah. Guar. Eddie Trunk, we mentioned him earlier. Eddie Trunk, he was on here for a while. I mean... Feeling some now? For like two seconds. That was about 28 seconds. Oh. That was on the Jimmy Bauer episode. Yeah. Mike Dean from COC. And Reed Mullen from COC. And Reed Mullen from COC. But yeah. yeah. That's a lot of people, and there's a lot of people we're forgetting right now for some reason. So... You get the idea. Yeah. SoundCloud.com backslash Thunder-Underground, or just get on our website, TheThunderUnderground.com. You can stream right there. If you like downloading shit, go to iTunes, Google Music. You can also stream us on Stitcher, TuneIn, all that great shit. YouTube as well. That is at The Thunder Underground. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Follow us all there. Wherever you listen, wherever it's at, hit like, hit share if you get a chance. Leave a comment or a review on any of those sites. It helps spread the word. That's right. Then get on Patreon.com, look up Thunder Underground, send us a few bucks. Please. It'd be, it'd be amazingly appreciated. It I helps mean, this know, thing keep going. If you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to, our feelings are not going to be hurt if you don't. That's right. But we would really fucking love you if you do. Amen to that. Jason will personally give you the Thunder Underground melon baller. Well, we got to get them made first. All right. We'll get a prototype made so you can give it to someone. All right, I'll get on that. <laughs> but yeah, hear us every Monday night, 7 p.m. Central on 1027WSNR.com. And once again, Thunder Underground Fest is coming quicker than ever. It's like seven weeks away now. I can't wait. October 19th and October 20th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's right. If you're not in the area, just get on Facebook and share it for us. We would appreciate that as well. Once again, check out Sprout the Antihero. <clears throat> that great new song is on YouTube. You can also find it on his Facebook page. And then look up Candlebox. All their new shit as well. And thank you to Kevin Martin. Definitely. Until next time. You want to do it in front of all the booze? Sure. <laughs> so, this is how they fucking rock, you guys. Thunder Underground, y'all.